Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. This week's guest, I'm very excited about um, sharing the interview that we're doing this week. Um, Our guest started her career as an assistant at Penguin Random House, where she still works as a a senior commissioning editor, at the same time as pursuing her own passion for writing. From her own website, she describes herself as someone that really enjoys psychological thrillers, loves books, and particularly those books that focus on the relationships between women. But one thing that she noticed was that a lot of psychological thrillers are focusing on the negative aspects of a relationship between two women. Whereas her debut novel, which is excellent, which we are here to talk about today, focuses on an actual very warm and genuine friendship based on love. So it's a great pleasure of mine to introduce you to the author of Seven Lives, which was released earlier on this year during lockdown. And that is Elizabeth Kay. Welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's really nice that we can have this time to chat about Seven Lives. It's been such a pleasure to read it. I'm really pleased that you liked it. I really did. I really did. Um, So in which case, why don't we start by um, having a reading and we can introduce people to the book and then we can start uh, talking about it. Perfect. So this is from... um, very near the beginning uh, from the first chapter, which is called The First Lie. And that's how I won her heart, he said, smiling. He leant back in his chair, lifting his hands behind his head, expanding his chest. He was always so smug. He looked at me and then at the idiot sitting beside me and then turned back again to me. He was waiting for us to respond. He wanted to see the smiles stretch across our faces to feel our admiration. I hated him. I hated him in an all-encompassing, burning, biblical way. I hated that he repeated this story every time I came to dinner every Friday evening. It didn't matter who I brought with me. It didn't matter which degenerate I was dating at the time. He always told them this story. Because this story, you see, was his ultimate trophy. For a man like Charles, successful, wealthy, charming, a beautiful, bright, sparkling woman like Marnie was the final medal in his collection. And because he was fueled by the respect and admiration of others, and perhaps because he received neither from me, he wrenched them instead from his other guests. What I wanted to say in response, and what I never said, was that Marnie's heart was never his to win. A heart, if we're being honest, which I finally am, can never be won. It can only be given, only received. You cannot persuade, entice, change, still, steal, steal, take a heart. And you certainly cannot win a heart. I want to tell you something now before we begin. Marnie Gregory is the most impressive, inspiring, astonishing woman I know. She has been my best friend for more than 18 years. Our relationship is legally an adult, able to drink, marry, gamble, ever since we met on our first day at secondary school. Thank you so much. 
it's so nice to hear you to read it aloud. I find I actually I listened to the beginning of the audiobook and then it felt too weird to hear the words said back at me. I'm not a big listener of audiobooks, to be honest. Um, but, you know, it was done far better by a by a trained actress, but gave it a go. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. So tell us a little bit about Seven Lies in your own words. What is Seven Lies about? So it is narrated by Jane and she talks a lot about her best friend, Marnie, who we meet at the very beginning of that section. And throughout the course of the novel, she tells Marnie seven lies. The first lie, I think, is a very familiar lie that I expect lots of people would have told, which is when she says to Marnie that she very much likes Marnie's new boyfriend, when in fact she hates him. And the lies escalate from there. They become darker and more sinister. And the book explores kind of that boundary between truth and lies, which lies would you be comfortable telling, which lies are a lie too far. And it also looks at grief and loss and the things we might do in our very darkest moments to protect a friendship. The, the, the reading that you just gave really alludes to that because even though he doesn't have much of a voice in the novel, Charles, is he really stands out. And I know he's despicable, but I loved him. Did you? No one has said that to me. I loved him. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be his girlfriend or his wife or even his friend, but as a character to enjoy in a book, I just, I loved everything about him. He's so unlikable, and that's why I liked him. Oh, that's so interesting, because I, I love unlikable characters. But Charles, I don't know, he's never really, he hasn't grabbed me in that way, and that, no one else has said it to me, so. Uh, no, I, I, as a sort of, um, as a sort of pure observer of people like Charles, I thoroughly enjoy it. Actually, people have said that he's very familiar. They've told me they know they know people like Charles. They've met them, you know. I know lots of Charleses. Yes. So <laughs> I guess well, that's a good thing, I hope. It means that he feels recognisable. We've all met them, dated them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What was it that inspired you to write about this novel? I was really... I was really keen to write a book about female friendship and I had read lots of books that looked at friendships between women and they all seemed to, a lot of them seemed to start from a place where the friendship had kind of a edge of jealousy or an edge of distrust right from the beginning, um, which then allowed something negative to blossom and turned the book into a thriller or a drama or something dark and sinister. I wanted to look at a story that ended that way, very dark and sinister, but started from something that felt more authentic to me that felt like my friendships, where it's genuinely affectionate, it's trusting, it's kind of valuable and significant within our lives, and look at how that sort of friendship can become something very different. So that was kind of, that was the very beginning, I suppose. It definitely felt, the the whole description of how Jane and Marnie met, it felt very, like Charles, recognisable. It felt like something I'd done. Yes, but that's, I recognize, I didn't recognize my friendships. And actually a few people have said to me, you know, that they feel like they have a Marnie or they feel like they are one and someone else in their life is the other, which is nice to hear because it's that kind of pairing mm. of two people who seem to fit together really nicely. Which of Jane and Marnie did you recognize first? Which was the first character that you came up with? So Jane came to me straight away. I wrote kind of the first chapter hasn't really changed dramatically since the first draft. And it, that's quite incredible yeah like the, the words have changed a little bit here and there but Jane's voice came to me straight away and she as a character really propelled the story everything else built up around her it was you know yeah. who are the people who have made her as she is does she have any siblings what are her parents like and that everything grew from her including Marnie 
How complicated was it to write? Because you say that chapter one didn't really change all that much. But the, the structure of this book, I actually find it very original because it's very you're submerged in in Jane's world. It's all told pretty much from her perspective. But the fact of telling the lies and narrating her story to somebody, it, it felt very fresh. How complicated was that to to weave together? I think I knew the beginning and I knew the middle and I knew the end and everything else I discovered as I wrote it. And I wrote a first draft and then it was a case of going back and trying to, I feel like for me writing is like knitting a blanket or something like a patchwork quilt and you start putting your patches down and eventually you've got a full blanket and you look and you think oh god I've got a whole patch in the middle where I didn't put any pink or purple right I better do some pink patches in there for me it feels like that you start from one place and you end up in another and then you have to look at it all together and say right what bits are working where have I got too much of one color or one thing and try and level it or equally finding something quite often I find that I'll come up with something you know in the last 20 percent and think oh I like this a lot I'm gonna have to go and weave this all the way back through the first 80 percent do you find that some of those later details turn out to be some of the most important? I think often they're, if not the most important, I think for me, they're the bits that feel most valuable. Often it's by that point that I really mm. know a character or I know a setting and suddenly it'll come to me like, actually, you know, it's not a sister, it's a brother or, um, yes. you know, actually here's a story from their childhood that was really significant that should be in here. I think they're probably the details that I hope bring it to life. I'm not sure they're necessarily the most important plot points but there may be the bits that give it some colour and life and authenticity. I think so. That's how I feel about it from my own perspective as a writer. Definitely the, the last bits are the pieces that really weave together all of the other details. And actually, it's when you're working with an agent or with editors and they say, they ask a question and you think, oh, I know that. Is that, is that not in here? For example, I think, yes, I can't remember. I was asked a question about Marnie and Jane that I was like, hang on, that's, that's the whole book that's in here that's everywhere and then I went back yeah. through and I thought no it's not it's in my head like I know it <laughs> but it's not really in these pages and I think it's those last bits that aren't necessarily you know they might just be I don't know 20 30 lines spread across a whole book but that make little parts come to life and give everything its shape and having that input as from an agent or from an editor is the bit that allows you to find those details, I oh, think, like you say. I think, like, it's definitely my favourite bit. The bit where you're kind of slogging alone just to get through it, get the words down. And then there's quite a nice bit, I think, mm. I quite enjoy doing the first edit once I've got a sense of it. And then you get to a point where you think, this is as good as I can get it on my own. And someone comes yeah. back and says, here are a list of things that you can improve that are wrong with it. And suddenly you've got, I mean, it's a bit terrifying, but you also have more fuel. You can start again, you know what you need to fix. You have yes. how to make it better, which you lose, I think, very quickly working independently. And do you think working as an editor, as, as your other job, do you think that that makes a difference how you approach writing Seven Lives as a writer? Or do you think that you approach it sort of separately, one as a writer and then you need an editor? Or do you sort of put both hats on while you're writing? I definitely prefer the editing side of writing. So the first draft, I am not good at. I find that very challenging. I get kind of distracted and I sit down and I sort of draft a chapter and it's not very good and then I put off redoing it because because I'm a bit lazy and it's hard and you know I think it's very lonely doing a first draft and then kind of a bit of the later drafts where you're piecing it together when you're 
building something that starts to feel real is more exciting. Uh, yeah. I enjoy editing my own work and I definitely enjoy being edited. But I would also say the experience of being a writer has shaped how I edit and will edit going forwards. That's really interesting. Because I, when I first got notes back from my editors and they were very similar in format to how I would offer editorial notes, I sat back and I thought, I have no idea where to start. And I think, yeah. I think that experience will change what I do going forwards. Because it's really hard when someone asks you a big plot question or a big character question. You think, oh my God, I've got 90,000 words. Where am I going to answer that? Yeah. And I think actually when you're the new set of eyes, you can provide the answer that more easily. You can say, actually, it was about page 70 or this scene or this section that I started to think, hold on. How do these characters know each other or why is their relationship like this when it's just you and the full document and a set of kind of queries and ideas and thoughts it's quite daunting that's going to be so valuable for your writers going forward so. that it's changed your absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um so going back to the book because we've diverted a little bit the importance of lies and whether we should tell them is fundamental to what this book is about but are there any other themes that you either consciously or subconsciously threaded into this book? I think consciously grief was one that I was very keen to include just because death and grief, I find really fascinating. Um, having been grieving myself, having watched people grieve and just kind of, I think the size of grief is really hard to portray in films or on TV or in books because it's so personal. Um, and so I wanted to look at that and for Jane, the main character, how many griefs might affect someone, how far do you have to lose other people before you start to lose yourself? So that was kind of something that I consciously wanted to address. Everything else that I suppose tackles an issue within the book grew out of Jane. It was about thinking who are the people in her life? What are their struggles? What are their strengths? And various other things grew out of that. Jane's mum struggles with dementia. My grandmother had dementia, so I could draw on that a little bit. And that felt like a right. area that was interesting to explore how, again, how someone can be changed by losing themselves. And Jane's sister is quite troubled. So for me, those other themes, I guess, grew out of Jane, but were all interesting to me in their own right as well. Is, is it about also not only telling lies to another person but you mentioned there with the grief about how far what I liked what you said about how far how much you have to lose before you start losing parts of yourself and is this story also in some way about telling lies to yourself about either who you are or what you're seeing around you when I set out to write Jane when she first came to me I thought I'm going to write a character who is 100% reliable. Obviously, there have been so many brilliant, unreliable narrators in fiction in the last five, ten years. And I thought, yes. here's an opportunity to do something a little bit different and have her be totally honest, which she is. But it became apparent. Actually, it took me a long time to realise that being totally honest and being reliable aren't necessarily the same things. And although yes. Jane is telling you the truth, as she sees it, there isn't really one solid static version of the truth that never changes. There is just her perception. So yes, she's totally honest. Should you take everything she says at face value? Perhaps not. 
because as you say you know there are things that she might not want to acknowledge or address and she might not always be able to fully see them and this also about Marnie because Marnie we see her primarily through Jane's eyes so how much of Marnie do you think that we as readers know or do you think that we're seeing an edited version I think we're definitely seeing an edited version I actually I found I think when we even when you look at yourself and how you behave with your friends or your kids or your husband or your colleagues or your in-laws you are slightly different people every time whether it's you know the way you sit or speak or the language you use or the kind of what you would talk about as your hobbies and interests you present different versions all the time so at best Jane can give us a hundred percent of what Marnie shows her how much of Marnie is that well it's not going to be that much is it I guess Charles will see a different version people Marnie works with will see another version so even if Jane was completely honest and everything she said was entirely reliable it would still only be a small portion of Marnie as a whole being. There is a moment in the book where Jane takes a decision that she can't come back from. We've seen in this um, reading that you did for us today that right from the off, Jane is not a fan of Charles in any way, shape or form. But she makes a decision at some point during their relationship that she can't then reverse. Um, Do you think she regrets it? I don't think so. No, I don't think she does. I think I'm actually not sure she regrets any of the things she does in the book. I think she she makes choices that, as readers, we might think, oh, you know, it's a terrible decision. Like, you're going the wrong way. What are you doing? You know, you're completely blinded by how much you value your friendship. I think Jane is totally blinded by it. I think all the way through, she she would stand by everything she did because her reasons for doing it are always valid. Whether or not you agree with them, they make sense to her. And what do you think it was that finally tipped her over the edge? How do you mean? Into making that decision? Into into thinking that that decision is acceptable. I think we see in the book, it's actually before, without wanting to say too much, we don't see Jane get angry very often. She's actually quite calm. She's very calm. Yeah, and actually that is one of the few times we see her about to lose her temper. And I think it's probably anger that makes her that kind of sharpens her resolve, where she thinks, no, I am going to, you know, I trust my judgment, I'm making good decisions, I'm doing this for all the right reasons. Mm. I think anger can be quite powerful in that regard, you know. I'm sure most people have made a mistake or said something stupid that they regret when they're angry. For Jane, it just makes her that little bit more determined. And that bit more interesting. Yeah, I think, as you said, like, she's very calm and composed. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't ruffle easily. Uh, But when she does, you know, not great for everyone else. (laughs) She ruffled well. (laughs) There's some, other than obviously the main story between Jane and Marnie, there are some other sort of difficult and dark uh, topics discussed. For me, I think there, I mean, there's the bigger issue, I think, around women and body image and social media and kind of the, the kind of the difficult, the difficulties in that space, what a difficult sphere it is to exist in. For me, there was also a sense of Emma as a character, she does struggle with an eating disorder, but I hope she comes across as someone who is quite strong and quite tough and sturdy. I think there's a sense that people who have 
eating disorders and kind of a whole range of other mental health uh, issues are weak. And I, that's so, that feels to me so untrue. And I wanted to have a character who both struggled with mental health, but also was tough and strong and also very articulate. And actually for me, she's one of the wiser characters in the book. She sees things more clearly than many of the others do. Um, and so I was keen to show a character who kind of sat in both those spaces as someone resilient, but also quite vulnerable. I, I, I liked her a lot as a character, actually. And I do think that she came across as being very strong as a reader to see someone that had such a significant problem that could theoretically have been the only thing that you sort of see. It was lovely to see that character feel so well-rounded and determined and strong and in control of what was happening to her in many respects, even though ultimately she wasn't in control mm. because it was a, a disease. I think, yeah, as you say, it's that balance, isn't it? I think we're slightly conditioned in a way, less and less, I think, which is a good thing to see mental health concerns as a sign of weakness. You know, it's the reason people wouldn't tell mm. their boss if they're taking time off with stress or struggling with anxiety. Yes. It, or, or you might yes. be embarrassed to talk to your GP. But actually, those they don't go hand in hand. You know, weak people aren't the ones who struggle with mental health. It can happen to anybody. Mm. And equally, mm. you can be very strong in a million ways. And yet still, there is something that makes your life particularly challenging. And I think for Jane as well, one of her challenges was the fact that her female um, sort of pillars in her life, her sister and her mother, both had significant problems that she couldn't she couldn't rise above mm. and she couldn't fix do you I think it's it's so frustrating when you know from the smallest problems to the biggest problems if you can't fix them it just feels it can feel incredibly overwhelming and I think Jane is so frustrated at the fact that she can't solve anybody's problems um mm. which I which feels familiar to me I think that's I think a lot of us feel that when someone we love is struggling and we can't do anything about it absolutely uh, do you think that that played a huge part in her relationship with Marnie and how that progressed? I think so. I think, Jane, you have a sense that she is being, against her will, disconnected from people around her, people who have been important in her life. Um, she talks about her father, who was a pillar in her life initially and isn't now, her mother, her sister, uh, other significant relationships in her life. And she becomes, in its very simplest sense, very clingy. If you have lost a lot of people who matter or are losing them, I guess you cling to those who remain in a very, in a very tight and potentially damaging way. Yes, um, which kind of leads us leads us on to the idea of forgiveness. Um, forgiveness plays out between various characters in the book, um, or even if not quite forgiveness, a connection that can't be broken. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think it's that question, isn't it? Is, you know, blood thicker than water? Is Jane bound to her mother and her sister because they're family? Are you, is she bound to them in any more significant way than she's bound to a best friend she's known most of her life? I think, mm -hmm. I don't know, like some people, I think, would say they don't have a particularly great relationship with a the parent. They don't feel like that's an unbreakable bond. Mm -hmm. Others would say, oh my goodness, you know, I love them against all the odds if they, there's nothing they could do that would make me stop loving them. I think Jane feels that way towards Marnie. I don't know if Marnie could do anything that would, that Jane would deem unforgivable, uh, which is quite a dangerous place to be. If there are people in your life who yeah. can do anything to you and 
you will never step away you will never put yourself first because that is the strength of that relationship it almost becomes you know it's a weakness again to have a relationship that strong can be can be problematic that you can't leave behind or step away from um so forgiveness not only between the females obviously there's also a situation that arises i don't want to say what it is with because it would give something away but there's a situation that uh, arises between jane and charles um and marnie Mm -hmm. when and tell me if this is not okay when he does something that they try to keep secret from Mm -hmm. marnie um his behavior is obviously deplorable he's absolutely horrendous but marnie is then faced with the choice of who does she believe um what do you think she would have done i don't know it's hard it's that question isn't it does marnie feel as strongly towards jane would she value jane above everybody else no matter what the cost i don't know that she would and if you're faced with a choice between your best friend and your boyfriend, I mean, there's that time in your life, isn't there, where it's, you know, friends come first. And then once you're, yeah. if you're married to someone or you have children with someone, then it becomes much more complicated. It's not just a person, it's a future, a life that you're, yeah. you're giving up. So I think Marnie is faced with that choice. And I think she would choose her partner rather than her best friend. That's my gut feeling. Um, I don't know. Other people who read it might feel differently. Um, I feel that she would choose Charles. Yeah. But I wasn't sure that she believed him. Yes, which is interesting too, because it's her. Re- it's not necessarily who she believes, is it, or who she trusts. It's making a choice about what yeah. she wants for herself. Um, yeah. I think it's something that we've all done at some point, picked the wrong wrong person for the wrong reason and although whether i don't know whether there was a right choice for marnie given the two characters that she was choosing yes that's kind of a hard choice you know a troubled best friend or a tricky boyfriend it's very tricky a difficult one (laughs) and so um it's a wonderful book i thoroughly enjoyed reading it i found it very tense um very internal it's all it's all about Jane and I love those kinds of psychological thrillers because you get so deep into the character's um brain your paperback has just come out and so I want everyone to go out and buy it so please give me one or two lines of why people should or what rather what they will enjoy about this book so I think if you like dark sinister novels with women at their centre and a particular focus on female friendship and how it might go wrong, uh, then I think this is one for you. It is is sinister, it is dark, but I hope it's quite human as well. It really is. I hope everyone goes out and gets it. Thank you. Tell us when the paperback came out. It came out last week, so it's been out a week tomorrow. Fabulous. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. At least now it's not in lockdown. No, I know. It's a bit more normal. I need to go out and see it. In as many, I, couldn't, I barely saw the hardback anywhere because obviously our bookshops were closed. Uh, we were yeah. queuing to get into supermarkets. So I felt I couldn't join a queue just to go and take a photograph of my book when, you know, people yeah. were desperate to get food for their families. Uh, but I think now I could probably go out and do a bit of a, a bit of an explore and see what I can find. What was that experience like uh, in lockdown? Because obviously 
as a writer, you're so excited about your book coming out and then everywhere is closed. But also with your other hat as an editor, you must have had other books probably that came out during the lockdown period. Uh, how was it for you in those in those roles? I think back at that point, I mean, it was very disappointing, but we were also, there was something very um, kind of overwhelming about the whole situation. No one was quite sure how severe this was going to be, how long it was going to last, what the real risks were, what our lives would look like in one month, six months, a year. Yeah. Um, so it was that balance of feeling very disappointed, but also trying to recognise that at that time, our hospitals were filling up, people were getting very unwell, and trying to remind yourself that actually, you know, it's a real privilege to be able to write. It's so exciting to have a book published, and sure, it might not be mm. quite what you'd envisaged, but it's still out there, people are still reading it. And actually, it was a really great opportunity to speak to readers online you know I felt like I was getting I didn't meet readers in bookshops as I might have done in other circumstances but I feel like I still heard from lots of people and was able to answer people's questions and hear what they thought of the story and the characters so it wasn't you know it wasn't without a silver lining. Do you think that what we've experienced over the last six months and everybody having to change their sort of practices do you think it will change the publishing world as we go forwards? I think it will. In a sense, I think, I mean, bookshops are so important. Not having bookshops open was, you know, bookshops are incredible places for creativity and imagination, as well as being places where you can literally buy a book. You know, you sometimes, yeah, it's not the same as shopping online, where I think certainly I go on and I would look for something that I know I want and buy it. I'll go into a bookshop where I want something yeah. to read and I don't know what it is. And I want to be inspired by a great cover or a great title or a recommendation yes. from a bookseller. So I think, you know, bookshops are, you know, essential, really. Yeah. So I think it's so important that we continue to support them, particularly given it's been a tough year. I hope people will find themselves reading more. I think there's been a real focus on how people use their time. And we've been given lots of people, I would say less so those of us with young children, but lots of people have been gifted more time than they had before uh, by, you know, getting rid of a commute or, you know, doing slightly fewer hours, whatever it might be. I hope people are using some of their time to read. I know lots of people will say, I wish I had more time to read or I can only read when I'm on holiday. Maybe people have more time and reignited a love of it. Especially perhaps when there's a, a glut of production. There's not going to be perhaps next year as many movies or new television series come out because nothing's being filmed. I know, and I don't know Nobody's that we haven't really felt that yet, I suppose, because obviously yeah. Netflix and Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, it's all packed. So there's yeah. plenty to keep you going, but actually it is slowing down, I guess. There'll be fewer new things coming up. And such a such a long lead time. Yeah, and that's another industry that you really hope finds its feet again because so many people yeah. in creative jobs and doing brilliant work, it would be devastating if we lose that going forwards. It's unfortunate. Like for us, our work didn't really change. You do your work as a writer in whatever situation yeah. you're in, but... But for needing to be together on, on a set, it's impossible. At the moment. Absolutely. I think writers are used to being at home for long days in front of a laptop with little company and no socialising yeah. at all. Um, yeah. so I guess for lots of writers, the working world didn't change dramatically outside of promoting. For other industries, it's been totally, they've been totally shaken up. Yeah. And for you as a writer, what's next? Are you working on your next I am working book? on my next book, slowly but surely. I'm still, I'm on a second draft, but it's sort of a first draft because it has evolved so much between the two. I'm hoping I'll have finished it in the next six weeks or so, and then I can start with the fun bit. 
but I'm just oh, working my way through at the moment. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's going to be very exciting when we get the chance to read it. Thank you very much. I hope so. I'm hoping it won't be too far away. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Seven Eyes is in the shops now, and I hope everyone goes out and buys it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.